Next, this month's special series focus on disaster medicine and preparedness. Unforeseen disasters carry unique challenges and learning opportunities. This month, we present conversations that scrutinize our plans and protocols and ask, how prepared are we? How will we react? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. John Fagan. Dr. Fagan has had a distinguished career in the military, in private practice, in academic medicine, sports medicine, and to complete his resume, he has now been actively involved in volunteerism in multiple countries, bringing orthopedic surgery to the underserved. Thank you, Dr. Fagan, for joining us. Thank you, Mari. Dr. Fagan, what in particular directed your attention towards being a volunteer physician? Well, I, I think uh, I began my volunteer work even in medical school since we had obligatory outlying clinics in rural North Carolina in the early 60s. And this inspired me and I think set the tone for later service or opportunities of service. So hopefully, uh, you know, it carried through my whole career. What particular countries have you volunteered in? Well, I volunteered first in Vietnam and found that uh, working with the civilian population was very rewarding. And subsequent to that, I, when I returned back to the States and so on, we worked not only in rural U.S. communities, but I've also worked in Panama, Kazakhstan, Cuba, and I suppose some other countries that slipped my mind right now. You know, you mentioned Cuba. We don't hear much about American physicians going to Cuba volunteering. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Well, we, we were not illegal. I'll start with that. The Treasury regulation by which we're guided in the U.S. in our relations to Cuba, and they've existed for some 45 years, require that you have a letter of invitation, that your discipline be either agriculture or medicine, uh, and that they limit you in the amount you can spend per day, which is not a problem. But we had made contact with our Cuban orthopedic colleagues, and they expressed a particular interest in our teaching surgical skills, particularly as it related to minimally invasive surgery and a decrease in hospital days. And you can certainly understand their economic impetus for that. It does so happen that uh, Fidel Castro's youngest son is an orthopedic surgeon, and that made our working relationship much easier. So over a span of years, uh, I've gone down there once a year over the past five years, and along with some other orthopedic colleagues, and we've taught techniques that we felt were minimally invasive. What were the hospitals like and the support staff in Cuba? Ah, uh, yes. Maybe I, they're familiar to me in the sense that they're very similar to the military. Uh, there is certainly a hierarchy, and in orthopedics, the hierarchy starts at the top. It starts in Havana, where there is a 1,000-bed orthopedic hospital uh, supervised and run by Dr. Cambrus, and Dr. Cambrus has an outstanding staff and uh, covers almost every subspecialty as we would in the United States. And in addition to that, he is responsible for training all the orthopedic surgeons in Cuba. And so you work your way up in the system from your basic training in orthopedics to rural orthopedics someplace in Cuba, and then you have to do two years in a, quote, poor country outside of Cuba, and then you come back and you're assigned someplace in Cuba. So there is a gradation of care from the smaller villages to the medium-sized cities to the university setting in Havana. I should have mentioned that you're a graduate of West Point before you went to med school in Duke. Do you think that the military training that you had, first as a military officer before you were a physician, had an impact when ultimately you became a military doctor in a war zone? Ah, uh, Yes, the military part of my career. 
Uh, it took me a long time to realize that I was both a surgeon and a soldier. And at times I, I didn't realize I was combining the two. But I can also say that combining the two as I matured uh, was very gratifying. And yes, it did help me a lot. And uh, I think the perspective that a soldier has on both uh, his own unit as well as uh, where, where he's operating is important. And I think carrying that over to the delivery of medical care is, is important and is helpful. You could see yourself as a soldier and what the soldier might feel when he comes in with a, an injury. I know you served in Vietnam as a physician. Yes, and, and certainly as a soldier uh, and then in Vietnam as a soldier and a surgeon, yes, I could empathize. I could understand what mission they were doing, and uh, I think the communication was much easier. And over there, I did have you know the drafted doctor working for me, and it didn't take them long to learn to sympathize and empathize with the wounded soldier. You also trained doctors at, at Letterman, I believe. You were head of the orthopedic service there. And so you had an opportunity to see both people who were civilian trained and became physicians and people who were military and became physicians. Even in their training, could you see a difference? Well, yes, I could. And uh, my favorite segment of our training program were those uh, doctors who had uh, been soldiers, had seen combat uh, in the infantry or one of the combat arms, then come back, uh, felt committed, gone to medical school, and are now undertaking the orthopedic training. And without a doubt, their maturity and the breadth of their experiences really paid off. And in truth, uh, there was no way I could intimidate them or hostile situation in our hospital could intimidate them because they had been through it all and seen it, and uh, they were particularly valuable to me and my staff and the training program. When you were in Vietnam, you were involved in running a leprosorium. Obviously, this dealt with the civilians. What kind of experience was that for you? I inherited the leprosarium, and actually they ran us in some ways, but uh, I was uh, like the second year the hospital had been in a Vietnamese town on the coast called Quinyon, and the next valley down was the leper valley, and the Catholic sisters uh, had long ago, maybe 50 or 100 years ago, established a leprosarium in that valley. And those who served in my hospital before I got there established a relationship and gave medical care to the leper colony, and we continued it, and it was very gratifying. We don't really hear enough, I think, about our military doctors who were in Vietnam and now are in Iraq providing care to civilians. Is this a common thing? Uh, yes, it's a common thing, Maury, and I'm going to go into detail on that, and then maybe we'll come back to an anecdote if you have time about meeting the enemy at the leprosarium. But uh, in terms of our mission in Vietnam, there was a formal program called MEDCAP, uh, Medical Civilian Action Programs, that was endorsed by the command. So if we went out to a civilian hospital and gave care, we were really acting in line of duty. Of course, we couldn't abandon our primary duty of care of the soldier, but uh, at least we were under the aegis of a formal military program. I was very impressed with that program. The only difference... And that program that we had at the Leprosarium was, it was one that was continued over the years. It was focused on, you know, one disease rather than, say, a whole community. But the other thing we did in Vietnam was uh, polio vaccine, which was tremendously, I mean, you can imagine how cheap and easy that was and what a big difference it made because polio was still prominent when we were there. And now in Iraq, I have many young friends who are serving over there who are MDs serving, and uh, a high percentage of their care is of the civilians also, both outreach programs as well as in their in our own hospitals. 
you know, I've heard doctors who've come back from Iraq say they took care of more Iraqis than American servicemen. Yes, and of course this is, makes it even more difficult if you don't have a relationship between the civilian and the military to provide continuity of care. How do you think the doctors felt about this? Did it give them a sense of, I'm first a doctor? Yeah, ex- exactly. I think that our commitment, the medical profession's commitment to service transcends the politics. And uh, neither in Vietnam were there was some divisiveness there about whether what we were doing was the best or the right thing. Uh, and I have really haven't heard any of the young doctors uh, back from Iraq uh, that begrudged the care. In fact, I think they thought that was part of a favorable outreach program to the community. Do you think as a profession, if you've kept in touch with doctors who've returned from Iraq, that they've experienced even post-traumatic stress dealing not only with our own servicemen, but the civilians. All right, that's a tough one for me in the sense that certainly in some of our physicians that return from Vietnam, I've seen stress, and sometimes it seems to grow with time. So it's, it's uh, more apparent today than it was when we first got back some 40 years ago. In Iraq, uh, the young guys that I have seen coming back have been affected strongly uh, by their experience in Iraq as we were in Vietnam and I would guess that uh, they, too, will have a percentage that will hang on to those memories in a, in a fashion that's almost deleterious. Do you think these physicians have been able to get back into their civilian life? Some of them, I know, are returning to residencies, and some are returning to private practice. Do you think this has been a difficult transition for them? No, I don't think it's been difficult. I think it's been uh, hardening. In the, in the beginning, they realized how lucky they were to have had the breadth of experience they have, which prepares them for almost anything. And then I think that they're hungry to get back into the academic excellence that we expect of our profession and our training, you know, at the university level here. Returning to private practice, uh, yes, I think that there will be a certain amount of stress when we all realize how lucky we are here with our resources and how limited they are in other places. Is there anything that you would change in the policy of how physicians are trained for serving in a war zone? Oh, yes. I, I would be a very demanding dean of a medical school. <laughs> and I've been through this a little bit uh, with policy, but I, I would certainly, uh, you know, encourage, first of all, is uh, affiliation with a military institution near our training centers. And that is being done. For instance, at Duke, we have a regular program with Fort Bragg where you see plenty of returned Iraq veterans and injured, wounded veterans or amputee veterans, etc. So I would encourage that affiliation. And then second of all, I would encourage the affiliation, the outlying affiliation, uh, not only in our own country where there is underserved population, then I think there is absolutely an opportunity to learn from the war experience. I think a quote from Hippocrates is that a surgeon is best trained in war. And, uh, and I certainly felt that way after I experienced mine, that uh, that was the most intense training that I got. Your training in the military certainly offered you the opportunity of seeing more trauma than you wanted to. Did this in any way add to your impetus to go into research dealing with some of the trauma that you had seen in a war situation? Oh, Murray, that's a great question. And, yes, I think the tough trauma of war did influence me as I came back and made me want to direct my career more towards sports medicine. which is a, a diff, certainly a different kind of trauma, as we all recognize. So I'm sure that it influenced my career maybe even more than I would like to admit. But on the other hand, I certainly felt comfortable in any emergency room for the years to come because I felt like I had been in, in an emergency room that you know was almost beyond compare. Did you have an opportunity 
to see people go through physical therapy after they had been injured in a war situation? Uh, yes, uh, physical therapy and rehabilitation. I had always, as an orthopedic surgeon, been interested in rehabilitation as a science and a motivational technique, too. And uh, I'll never forget when they told me that we were getting physical therapists in Vietnam, and I thought, well, if we have to evacuate these casualties within 72 hours, you know, how are we going to fit physical therapy in? But I must say that our therapists in our hospital, even though we evacuated the casualties in three days, were invaluable in the care of the casualty. It cheered them up, got them started properly, uh, even got the amputees ambulatory on the day following injury. So uh, the rehabilitation is just outstanding. And also a great spot for rehabilitation people to learn you know, more about their specialty. I want to thank Dr. John Fagan, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing volunteerism as well as being an orthopedic surgeon in a war zone. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone application, Medical Radio. Listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160. Plus, CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download the Medical Radio app today.